Today on E-Crime Bites Nibble number 53, a stingray catches a tax fraudster. Daniel Rigmaiden was caught and sentenced for filing large numbers of fraudulent tax returns, but it was how he did it and how he was caught that makes this story incredibly interesting. And I say this because we've covered a lot of tax fraud on E-Crime Bites in our full episodes and in our nibbles like this, but there's a couple details about this case that make it stand out compared to all the other ones that we've already covered. So just a little bit of background, Daniel Rigmaiden, he is formerly from Santa Clara, California. He was sentenced by a judge for 68 months in custody, and that ended up being time served and ordered to perform 100 hours of community service during a three-year term of supervised release. The restitution was over $395,000, and that was satisfied by the forfeiture and abandonment of rig maiden seized assets totaling over $470,000. Prior to the sentencing, rig maiden pled guilty to conspiracy, mail fraud, and two counts of wire fraud. Now, he was caught because the IRS did an investigation back in 2007 because there was a significant number of potentially related tax fraud or fraudulent returns that came in. They didn't know who it was. They just started calling this person the hacker. And there was an undercover investigation that was conducted to try to find this hacker, as they called him. They were real uh, um, unique on that naming, huh? They said that this hacker tried to make $5.2 million in fraudulent tax refunds and ultimately got about $1.9 million in refunds sent out to him in debit cards. So up until Rig Maiden's arrest, they didn't know who he was. They were still searching for him. Like I said, they called him the hacker. They had an undercover operation in order to try to determine who his, who his identity was, so that way they could arrest him for all these crimes that they know he committed. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. This is where the Stingray comes and gets involved in this case. Now, a Stingray is not, a, I'm not talking about the fish. I'm talking about an electronic device that basically law enforcement can use that they put out there that would make your cell phone or any other cellular device pair with it thinking it's a cell tower. And what they're able to do is do some technical trickery behind the scenes in order to triangulate where it is that you're originating from when you're using that mobile device. Now, Rig Maiden used a lot of false identities I'm going to read you a passage here that's going to blow your mind about all these false identities. So they didn't know who he was. The only thing they knew is that this attacker was using an air card, which is a cellular device to get on the internet to do what he's doing. They at some point got authorization to use this stingray in order to identify where this hacker was existing and where the source of the activity was coming from. So what they did is the IRS did an investigation and they traced the fraudulent 
IRS returns to an IP address that they were able to trace to a Verizon air card, which is a cellular device that you could plug into a, either a computer or it's a standalone device that's basically like Wi-Fi, but it would connect through cell towers. So it would give you a Wi-Fi connection to cell services. And that air card was registered to an individual named Travis Rupard in San Jose, California. Now this card became the key focus of the investigation. When they did an investigation on the identity of Travis Rupard, they found it was a false identity. They found that the air card subscriber information of Travis Rupard listed not only the false identity, but a non-existent address and the California driver's license number provided by this supposed Travis Rupard was in fact actually assigned to a female to a different name. So it was fake as well. So this is interesting. At some point, the hacker starts communicating with a confidential informant that's working for law enforcement. And they're all trying to identify this person and they're basically sending him money and that the hacker gives them instructions on what to do with the money. And this is just incredible. So I'm gonna read this to you verbatim. It says on April 17th, 2008, the hacker contacted the confidential informant through a secure email account and provided detailed encrypted instructions for delivering $68,000 in proceeds from the tax refund scheme to the hacker. So you see here that law enforcement's trying to get in the middle and catch this hacker, but you're gonna see it's not gonna work out so well. It goes on to stay. The hacker directed the confidential informant to wash the $68,000 of cash in lantern fuel to avoid drug detection dogs, double vacuum seal the currency, place the sealed cash inside a stuffed animal and mail the animal in a gift wrapped box with a birthday card addressed to a dying child because I guess a living child would just raise too much suspicions, right? So then the, the hacker instructed the confidential informant to send the package to Patrick Stout at a FedEx Kinko store in Palo Alto, California. So Patrick Stout ended up being another fake identity. It was traced to a post office box in Sacramento and opened through the use of a fraudulent California driver's license number bearing a number yet assigned to another female with yet another different name. So definitely a fake driver's license account or driver's license number. So this money, the $68,000 was delivered to the FedEx Kinko's and on May 6, 2008, the next day on May 7, 2008 at approximately 5 a.m., a white male wearing a dark jacket and hood entered the store, presented identification in the name of Patrick Stout and took the package. The individual opened the package inside the store, removed the cash, discarded the shipping box, and proceeded to a nearby train station where he eluded agents who had him under surveillance. So then the hacker emailed the confidential informant after this and said, hey, got the money. Crazy, right? They didn't even catch him. So at this point, they, meaning the investigators, get a uh, trap and trace device to get more cell site information. And they get the authorization to use a mobile tracking device to communicate with the air card. 
And although it didn't say the word Stingray, when I read that and I know the technology behind it, that's what I believe that they're saying in the court documents. This is the point where they're able to use the Stingray. And on July 16th of 2008, agents used this mobile device, AKA the Stingray, to track the air card's location to unit 1122 of an apartment complex in Santa Clara, California. And so then they took a look at who owns this and they found it's rented in the name of a Steven Travis Bronner. And the application, surprise, surprise, listed a fake California driver's license bearing a number that belonged to a female with a different name. And the handwriting of Steve Bronner on the application was found to be similar to the handwriting of Patrick Stout on the post office box application of where the money was picked up. So they're starting to trace the two what looked like two individuals. Now they're saying it's one individual. And in addition, Stephen Bronner had provided a fraudulent 2006 tax return when he applied to rent the apartment, which is what, this is what they're investigating is fraudulent tax returns. So eventually the government got a search warrant to apartment 1122. And on August 3rd, 2012, agents observed a person matching the description of Stephen Bronner walking near the apartment. He started acting suspiciously when he saw the agents and began to running, or I'm sorry, he began to run to evade the agent. So on August 3rd, 2012, at approximately 4.15 p.m., agents observed a person matching the description of Stephen Bronner walking near the apartment. The person began to act suspiciously when they saw the agents and took off running. The agents chased him on foot. They caught him. They searched the suspect. And they found keys in the pocket. Where do you think the keys went to? Apartment 1122. When they went in, the agents took a lot look around because now they have a search warrant. And once inside the apartment, they found identification and it has a suspect's photograph, photograph on it. And it says Patrick Stout. Well, that was the name back at the $68,000 FedEx Kinko's, if you remember. And they also found a bunch of pre-recorded $100 bills that were part of the $68,000 back in May with Patrick Stout. Agents also found the air card that they were trying to find with the Stingray. And it wasn't until after all this that they fingerprinted the dude and they figured out that it was defendant Daniel Rigney. So this whole time they had all these false identities and they didn't even know who it was until they actually had a physical fingerprint and they were able to put on identity to the person that was committing all these crimes. This is a crazy story and we're definitely going to have to do an E-Crime Bites full episode on this one because there's a lot of stuff that I had to leave out of here. And speaking of which, if you like these E-Crime Bites, this quick E-Crime Bites nibble, you're definitely going to like one of our E-Crime Bites full episodes where we take a case like this and we go more in depth into the crime, the, technolo the technology behind the crime, the people behind the crime, how they're caught and what happens in court and you know, if they're punished and what that punishment is. So I hope to see you over there on one of those full episodes soon. Thanks for sticking around and see you then. Alrighty, bye.